grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Good morning. And let's also say Happy Mother's Day. Day. Let me ask quickly how many of you are mothers? And how many of you have or have had a mother? (laughs) That covers it all. We're celebrating for everybody. And how many of you noticed, by the way, that we had a mother-daughter just up here playing? Wasn't that gorgeous? Magnificent. We are blessed. Friends, we are blessed, especially with the ability to come before the Lord in the fellowship of these people to sing and to tell and to bask in the glory of His praise. So let us be called to worship then as we read responsively from the 119th Psalm. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all day long. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your decrees are my meditation. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Friends, in seeking justice and righteousness, we sometimes catch a glimpse of ourselves in the mirror of truth, and we're often ashamed or discouraged by what we see in ourselves, but God sees us in a different way. 
God sees us through the lens of love. So come and bring your confession and rest in the heart of God. Let's go to God in confession together. Gracious God, be with us as we walk through the hills and valleys of life. Give us courage to face trials and tribulations. Forgive us when we avoid the challenges and struggles of discipleship. Grant us wisdom to proclaim your word and live your love. And guide us into paths of peace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, friends, hear this. You are loved, you are whole, and you are free. And in the name of Jesus Christ, I declare to you, we are forgiven. Thanks be to God. Now, friends, may the peace of Christ be with you. As we prepare to greet one another, we'd like to remind our fifth grade and younger that their Sunday school leaders will meet them in the back. And if you're in youth group, you're excused now as well. So now let's turn and greet one another. Friends, let me share just a bit of news about what's going on in the life of the church today and in the days ahead. Some of you may have noticed as you were walking in that we have a baby crib or two outside. You can just deposit your babies there and we'll take it from there. <laughs> That's a dangerous thing to say, isn't it? <laughs> Actually, our youth group is conducting a baby shower drive. Uh, in a few weeks, they're going to be taking all kinds of baby items down to our New Day Partners in Ministry, and we're inviting you to provide some of those items. So next Sunday or the Sunday after, bring something that babies need, you know, powder and diapers and all that kind of thing. Put them in the crib, and in that way, you'll be able to help some folks out. Speaking of babies or the younger members of our church family, our Vacation Bible 
Bible School begins the week of June 19, and if you're interested in registering children or helping out with that very, very wonderful experience, give us a call sometime this week at the church and ask to speak uh, with Michelle or with Matt. Our youth group is going camping this summer, starting on July 10. If you consider yourself to be a youth, we'll have to have your driver's license as proof of that. But if you are a youth or have one in your family, you'll want to sign them up for that. Give uh, Chris Hecker a call this coming week. Next Sunday at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, our Ireland Tour Choir will be presenting a conference. It's called a send-off concert, and it's a way for all of us to share in the music that they're going to be sharing in churches all around Ireland, both at worship services and in concert venues, and along the way, visiting with folks about the wonderful saving love of Jesus Christ. So if you'd like to be part of that musical experience and look at some of the faces of the folks we're going to invite you to pray for while they're gone, be here next Sunday at 4. By the way, I want to say a special word of appreciation to Larry Gerling. Yes, you are still here. That's a good sign. Juan Acosta is sick today, and his father-in-law is standing in for him. Larry, thank you for your help with that. Also want to say a word of congratulations to someone who turned 93 just yesterday, John Kalina. Stand up if you would, my friend. As a 66-year-old, John, I have humongous appreciation and admiration for somebody who makes it as far as you have. So God bless you, my friend. Now, this is not in the bulletin, but we're going to do it anyway. We're going to recognize some of the new members who have joined with us recently. And so I'd like to invite all of you, you know who you are, please come forward now and stand at the top of the steps. We want to see your faces and give you a little love. These are mostly different folks than the folks that were here at nine. That's okay. That works. That works. <laughs> These friends who are standing here before you have been received by our session into the communicant membership of the Village Church. And they are here with us this morning simply to be received and to, loved, uh, to be loved, to be welcomed into the life of the church. They are part of our fellowship. Many have been for a long time, but in this way, they are moving forward in their discipleship to Jesus. Let's remember these words of Jesus as they are coming. Jesus said, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. Everyone who acknowledges me, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. And so, friends, I would remind you and remind all of us that Jesus has chosen you, and in baptism, he has joined you to himself. He has called you together with all of us into the church, which is his body. And now you are here in this time and place to confess his name publicly and then to join us as together we seek to serve him. So will you again answer these questions as they share your faith? Who is your Lord and Savior? Jesus Christ. Do you trust in him? Do you intend to be his disciple, to obey his word and to show his love? And will you be faithful members of this congregation, giving of yourselves in every way? And will you seek the fellowship of the church wherever you may be? Let's pray.
Lord God, in your design and creation for the human community, you have chosen some to be an example of that community to others. That's who we are, the church. We thank you, therefore, for adding these brothers and sisters into our community of faith, knowing that they are added into the worldwide community of the church. We thank you for the example that they will give, for the encouragement that they will offer, and we ask that you would help us to be such to them as well. We thank you that in your design you call all people to be part of the human family. May all that we do in the life of this church welcome others into your loving circle of friendship and fellowship that we know especially and that we experience especially as we follow Jesus our Savior. In his name we pray. Amen. Friends, welcome to the life of the Village Church. It's not brand new to most of you, I know. Come down here and give me a hug. You go back to the choir. There we go. <laughs> and now as this next song is being played for us, I suspect it's going to be the bell choir for some reason. Bless you, my children. We have an opportunity to present our tithes and offerings to God. God bless.
Please be seated. Friends, we have gathered to worship and we have prayed and listened to beautiful music and it centered our hearts and we prepare ourselves to come into the presence of God in prayer. Let's take a deep breath and let's go talk to God. For you, Creator God, who have pulled back the heavy, dark curtain of night, we give thanks for arriving safely in a new dawn. For the gift of eyes to see the world, for the gift of mind to feel at home in our life, the waves of possibility breaking on the shore of dawn, the harvest of the past that awaits our hunger, and all the furtherings this day will bring, we give you thanks. We ask, O oh God, that the sheer wonder of your grace might bend our knees and bow our heads in grateful praise. Listen, God, and delight in the gasp of awe that sweeps across your valleys and swirls at the highest point of your majesty. There's a collective thank you that rings out in the calling birds of morning, the awakening forests and all creatures great and small, the daffodil and the peony, the rose, lifting, lifting, lifting their sweet faces to the warming sun, the wind in the trees, a song of love ringing out to you, the maker of beauty and life. So how do we share this, God? How do we share this abundance, your beauty, your light, your peace? What possible prayer can we pray? What possible candle can we light? Is it hard to do? Is it possible to share? Is it possible, God, to wade into the calm waters of our lives and create ripples that stretch to the shoreline? What cry from a desperate child will have us in the line serving? What dreadful situation that entraps our neighbor will have us packing our bag and heading out to help? What inconsolable tragedy will move us to speak out and stand up and change the course of history. So we would ask you, please, O oh God, hasten us. Fill us with divine urgency. Let us burn with the desire to follow you into the places of great need and loss. We surrender to you our comfort and our peace and our ordinary days, that to a hungry soul with an empty belly are extraordinary in their lavish abundance. We walk behind you, Lord Jesus. We follow you for life wherever you would lead. Hear us, O oh God, as we lift up these prayers in the name of the one who taught us to pray, saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
First, a reading from the Old Testament book of Leviticus. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, you shall be holy for I, the Lord your God, am holy. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against any of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And now we're reading from the Gospel according to Luke. Just then, a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have given the right answer. Do this and you will live. But, not, but wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near to him. And when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and when I come back, I will repay you whatever you spend. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. How many people in this room and online have neighbors? Good. How many of you are neighbors? Some of you were a little unsure about that. <laughs> we are continuing a look in our Sunday morning messages about the business of being righteous about the challenge of being just in our lives. And in order to do that, we cannot escape 
asking and then answering questions about having neighbors and being neighbors. How many of you right now are thinking about your neighbors? Of course you are. I've been thinking about the business of being neighbors for quite a few days now and the, the run-up to this morning's message. And, and usually when I think of things now, I kind of go back to my beginnings, which is getting further and further away and harder and harder to remember, but still I can kind of get there. So I grew up, as you know, in a small town in New Mexico, and my family happened to live on the very southern edge of that town. And as a result, I grew up thinking that we really didn't have any neighbors. Bear with me here. There was one other house that was close to our house, about as far away from where I'm standing right now over to the Sunday school classrooms. And that house belonged to my aunt and uncle. And so I didn't really think of them as neighbors because they were relatives. That had to be something different, right? The next closest house was several hundred yards away. And I grew up thinking that neighbors were people who lived right next door to you that were not related to you. Now, maybe I thought that because of all of those 1950s and 1960s sitcoms that I grew up watching. Because in those stories, people either lived in nice middle-class neighborhoods where there were families full of children, and the neighbors were the people who lived in the house that was right next to yours, or they were stories about people who lived in high-rise apartment buildings in New York City, and your neighbors were on top of you and under you and all sides around you. That's who I thought neighbors were. But as I grew a little bit older, of course, thankfully, I began to expand my idea of what neighbors were about. And one of the ways that happened is because my family had several families who were very close friends who happened to be ranchers in New Mexico. Anybody here ever been on a real ranch in New Mexico? God bless you. The Lord loves you more than almost everybody else. <laughs> Our family, every month or two, would drive out to see some of our friends on the ranch, and we would go 50, 60, 70 miles, most of it dirt road, usually in Dad's old 1950 Chevy pickup, and we would visit our rancher friends, and our rancher friends would often talk about their neighbors. And that sort of mystified me for a while, because... The closest family living to them was 15 or 20 or 25 miles away. Are those people your neighbors? Well, they talked about them as if they were neighbors. So let me just ask the question again. I know you're already answering it. Do you have neighbors? Are you a neighbor? Neighbors are fascinating things. I observe them all the time. Some of them I hear all the time, but never see them. <laughs> Neighbors are good things, aren't they? Right? Mr. Rogers, for instance. Remember his song? It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Right? Or State Farm. Do you remember that State Farm commercial? Come on, say it back to me. 
Excellent. You, they did it in unison, Larry. It just, it's just natural, right? Yeah. Like a good neighbor, state farm is there. Yeah, yeah. Neighbors, neighborhoods, that's meant to be wonderful stuff, and it is, except when it isn't. Do not raise your hand. Do not look to one side or the other. Don't even twitch an eye. But answer this question. How many of you have good neighbors? And uh, some of you moved. How many of you are good neighbors? Oh, we have one very brave person here. Yes, God bless you. I'm sure you are. There's the question, isn't it? There's the question. One of my very, very favorite theologians in life, Dallas Willard, an incredible writer, leader, Christian man, one time started an article by saying this. He said, I realized one day that I didn't love my neighbors. And then he went on to describe his neighbors. And I understood why he did not love his neighbors. Now, I'm not going to describe those neighbors to me, but I'll bet you can fill in the blanks. Right? Yeah. <laughs> There's a challenge, isn't there, when it comes to the business of loving our neighbors? The business of being neighbors, the business of having neighbors is everywhere all the time. Maybe you haven't thought of it that way, but it is. Just this last week, depending on who you ask, some of the laws of our country were changed or adjusted about who can be our neighbors, kind of. Who are the people that want to move into our neighborhood? Are we being good neighbors? What's that all about? Believe me, I understand the complexity of those issues and those questions, but we can agree at least on this, that the business of dealing with your neighbors, whether they live three feet away on the other side of the wall, or they live 3,000 miles away and they want to come across the wall, that business, that question is something that we have to think seriously about. Not just because we have to deal with those issues every day in life, but because Jesus talked about them. So let's go to the story about neighbors, the story of a Samaritan and a priest and a Levite and an unfortunate person who is not described in any way except that he had some problems on the road. Let's go behind that story, though, for just a moment. Let's go to the origins of the question that started, that precipitated the telling of that story on Jesus' part. Let's go to Leviticus. A little over a week ago, we had a scripture memorization class. I'm told that 80 people showed up for it. That's absolutely magnificent. I was not there, and I don't really know who was there, but I can guarantee you one thing without even thinking about it, and that is 
that of all the scriptures those folks have memorized and want to memorize, not a one of them is planning to memorize Leviticus. Amen. Amen. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I've missed you, John. Right? Leviticus seems so boring, so sterile, so dry. It's just a whole bunch of conversation about all the rules and regulations of life, but boy, is it rich. Some of those rules and regulations are things that have not really survived into our culture and our time, and there's some good reasons for that, but some of them have. When they were originally discussed, when they were originally given by God, God was giving them to the people of Israel, the brand new nation of Israel, the people who had just recently received the Ten Commandments, and they read them, and they said, we need more information. And so God gave them more information. He spelled it out for them and said, this is what you shall do and you shall not do as my people. And the brief snippet that Bob read for us a moment ago, God starts it this way. God is saying to the people, you shall be holy because I am holy. To be holy means to be set apart for something. Doesn't mean that you're necessarily better than everybody else. It probably means that you're just like everybody else, but God has a plan for your life. God's going to work with you, appear to you, share his knowledge and information and wisdom with you so that you can become better than you are. If you don't want to be better than you are, then please visit with me. I'd be happy to tell you all the ways that you could get better than you are, and then you get to come back at me, okay? God says, be holy because I'm holy. In calling the Jewish people out for special consideration and a special life, God was merely turning them into a people who are meant to be an example to everybody else so that everybody else can learn that. And then God began to tell them how to be holy. God says, you shall be holy because I am holy. And the first thing out of his mouth was, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. How many of you knew that phrase? Do you realize you've memorized part of Leviticus? (laughs) Go on and learn the rest. I'm not going to, but you should. Right? You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The business of being set apart in order to learn how to live the way God made us to live is about the business of loving your neighbor as yourself. And that, my friends, has to do with learning to become righteous. Right. Or in another way of putting it, just. Now that's the background to the story. A lawyer comes up to Jesus, and the lawyer has heard probably that Jesus is a great teacher, a great preacher, and the lawyer wants to put him to the test. He wants to get into a little theological argument. If I had a nickel for every time somebody tried to get me into a theological argument, I wouldn't be here. I'd be sailing on my super yacht. It's okay, I love to chat theology. A lawyer comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, 
Tell me about fulfilling the law. Tell me about what's righteous, right? And Jesus says, will you tell me? Jesus knew he was a lawyer. By lawyer, he was a specialist in the law of the Old Testament. Maybe he had memorized Leviticus. Jesus turns the question back on him and says, well, you know the law. What does the law say? And the lawyer gives him a perfectly good answer. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. You see, the lawyer had learned that phrase just as Jesus had learned that phrase back in Leviticus. And so then the lawyer asks Jesus a question because, because he wants to trap Jesus, apparently. He wants to put Jesus into a place where Jesus can't answer any more questions. And we're, we're given a clue about that because we're told that the lawyer wants to justify himself. The lawyer's trying to trap Jesus into saying, if you will do these things and not do these other things, then God will love you and you'll be fine. That's what the lawyer was trying to do, was to get Jesus to say, do this, don't do that, and you'll be fine. Because that's the system of faith that that lawyer and all the Jews had grown up with. Do this, don't do that, you'll be fine as far as God is concerned. And so the lawyer has just said to Jesus, and Jesus has agreed with them that fulfilling the law is about loving your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus turns around and says to him, a story, a story precipitated by another question. The lawyer asks this question, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? And that's where the story of the Good Samaritan comes from. Love your neighbor as yourself. Great. I love that phrase. Don't you love that phrase? Love your neighbor. Now, I happen to live in a neighborhood that's filled with people who are pretty much like me. And they're pretty easy to love, most of them. I'm not going to tell you which ones are not easy to live because they might be tuned in to this service right now. Right? Who is my neighbor? Jesus tells a story. And the story you know so very, very well. That story is represented here in our little holy place that we call the sanctuary. Do you know where that story is? If you don't, you haven't been paying attention. Point to me where the story is. Okay, some of you got brave. See that window over there? You guys are forgiven. You, you knew it was there. Even, can, you, can you see it there? You probably can't. Can you sort of see it there, right? That little square window over there that has a donkey and a guy in a green robe kneeling next to a guy in some red workout shorts. That's the story of the Good Samaritan. You might not recognize it that way because there's another little piece of that window and that window is in the other wall and it faces that way. It faces that way because there's two other people in the story of the Good Samaritan and the unfortunate man by the side of the road, the priest and the Levite. After this service, I know I've asked you to do this before, but not all of you have gotten to. After this service, go over there and look at the priest and the Levite. They're in the stained glass too. Out of all the stories that we could have pictured in the few windows of this sanctuary, we chose that story because of what it says to us. You know the story 
A man was going from Jerusalem up in the mountains to Jericho, down in the valley on a windy mountain road. Some of you have been on a similar road. That road was a dangerous road because that's where all the robbers and thieves hung out. And unfortunately, he was attacked. He was lying there by the side of the road. A priest came walking by. And he walked to the other side of the road and kept on going. Then a Levite came walking by and he went to the other side of the road and he kept on going. The priest who's supposed to know the law of God, the priest who also had memorized that scripture from Leviticus about loving your neighbor as yourself, the Levite who helped the priests, they walked by. But then a Samaritan came by and helped him. Now, we think of the word Samaritan usually with that qualifying adjective attached to it, the good Samaritan. In Jesus' day, as far as that lawyer was concerned and everybody else, you would never conceive of a Samaritan as good. Why? Well, that requires a little bit more information. Several hundred years earlier, the Samaritans were Jews who were people who had intermarried with non-Jews. Some of the Jews did not intermarry. They kept their religion very pure, very clean, very straight. But some of the Jews intermarried. They got all confused with that. At least that's the story that the good Jews from the Jerusalem area told. And so the good Jews from the Jerusalem area, like the priest and the Levite and most certainly the lawyer, they looked at their Jewish cousins as half-breed heretics. Half-breed is something that I'm proud of because I'm a half-breed. Or now with all that DNA testing, I'm all mixed up with a whole lot of other stuff. But that term half-breed is a pejorative term. And that's the way the Jews would have used it of the Samaritans. They were half-breeds. Not only were that, but as far as the good Jews in the south were concerned, the Samaritans up in the northern part of the country had completely polluted and perverted and destroyed the true faith. The region of Samaria is north of Jerusalem. If you go further north of Samaria, you get to towns like Nazareth, where Jesus was from. In Jesus' day, if you lived in the northern part of Israel and you needed to travel to the southern part of Israel, you would literally walk dozens and dozens and dozens of miles around Samaria so that you would not go through Samaria. How many of us have ever gone around a neighborhood instead of through it? That's how bad the Samaritans were. But it's the Samaritan who does the right thing, the righteous thing, the just and loving thing. The lawyer asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? And Jesus told a story that did not answer that question, really. Jesus asked a question. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And the lawyer had no choice but to answer, 
the Samaritan, the man who showed mercy. Now, lest you think I'm picking on lawyers, which sometimes I do, I confess, let me propose to you that each one of us is a lawyer. Each one of us tries to argue with God and convince God that we're lovable and we're good enough to get to heaven. And each one of us tries to argue with God and say, God, that person over there is not good enough. They're not good enough for heaven. Each one of us tries to argue with God about everything under the sun, and that makes us a lawyer. Amen. <laughs> and so those are our questions. This is us standing there questioning Jesus. And those two questions are so important. Who is my neighbor? Well, as far as the Samaritan was concerned, the man who needed his help was his neighbor. We don't know if the man on the side of the road was another Samaritan. We don't know if he was a Jew. We don't know if he was a pagan. We don't know if he was a Democrat or a Republican or what he was. We only know that he was a human being and the Samaritan reached out to another human being. Who is your neighbor? Is it the person who lives in the flat next to, to you? Is it the person who lives at the next ranch 30 miles away? Your neighbor is the person who lives on the same surface of the same planet that you do. And someday, who knows, we may discover people on other planets. I'm not going to take that one on today. We don't have time. <laughs> Who is your neighbor? Anybody and everybody. That's what the Samaritan modeled. Who was the neighbor? The Samaritan was the neighbor. Those are two vital questions that you and I can never escape. You and I should never escape. You and I would never want to escape because those two questions continually act as a corrective, as an incentive, as an education for us in how God wants us to live in the world. Not long ago, I was reading a sermon about this very passage from Luke, the story of the Good Samaritan. And that preacher said that he thought that in the mind of the Samaritan, there were two questions, two more questions. They're great questions. If you or I were either the priest, that's me, or the Levite, that's Larry, because he helps out the priests, right? Or just a normal person walking by the side of the road, that includes all of us. If we were that person walking by the guy on the side of the road, we would have one question in our minds, I would suspect. The question would be, what will happen to me if I stop to help him? I'll be late for my appointment. I might get robbed by those same thieves who might be just over the hill. Who knows what would happen? But that is the question. What will happen to me if I stop to be righteous, to be just, to love my neighbor? That's a really good question. But it's not the only question. The other question is maybe a better question. 
What will happen to him if I don't? Love your neighbor as yourself. Look at that person next to you, either right next door or at the next ranch or in the next country or on the other side of the planet. We're all neighbors. What will happen to them if we don't? If we're going to learn to be righteous and just, we're going to learn to look at the world the way that Jesus did and taught. And we are, but we have a ways to go. Amen. We've heard the word preached and we've heard our amens. So let's stand together and affirm our faith. From 1 John. Beloved, let us love one another because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, since God loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is perfected in us.
How many of you grew up close enough to someone that when mom was baking a cake and needed an extra cup of sugar, she'd send you next door to the neighbors to get it? Anybody here? Cool. Never happened in my family. Had to go over a wall to get to the closest neighbors that were never home and the other ones that were a few hundred yards away. Mom thought that was too far. But I'm so glad that mom taught me and I finally learned that everywhere you go, no matter how far away they are, there are neighbors to meet. Neighbors you have not yet met who might be so different from you that you think they're not even human, but eventually you begin to learn they are, and they might even begin to eventually learn that you are human too. It's a fascinating thing that happens. Regardless of where you go in this life, God will put in your pathway your neighbors. What will happen to you if you take care of them? What will happen to them if you don't? May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us this day and always. Let God's people say together, Amen. Amen.